Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Living Wisely. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. When I was growing up, there was a movie called The Final Countdown that I enjoyed watching and saw several times on HBO. The movie starred Kirk Douglas and Martin Sheen. The film tells a fictional story of a United States Navy aircraft carrier that is uh, suddenly and mysteriously transported back in time from 1980 to 1941. Not long after arriving in the past, the crew discovers that they are the only thing standing between the Japanese fleet and Pearl Harbor. The movie assumes that the original attack on Pearl Harbor could have been prevented if warning signs hadn't been heeded back on that fateful day, December 7th, 1941. But the sudden leap back in time by this state-of-the-art aircraft carrier, I think it was the USS Nimitz, a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, and had, was maybe on its maiden voyage, uh, it raised an incredible opportunity and a moral quandary. Throughout the movie, the crew wrestles with the question, should this 1980 aircraft carrier, with its superior technology, leverage that technology against the antiquated Japanese fleet and alter the course of history? Now, I can tell all of you are sitting on the edge of your seat, eager to watch this non-blockbuster film that came out almost 40 years ago. So I won't ruin the outcome of the movie for you so that you can find out for yourself. But like many time travel movies, The Final Countdown uh, operates on a common time travel premise that we can travel back to the past fix our mistakes, and return to a better future. Have you ever wanted to go back in time, fix something you carelessly said, and then return to a better future? I know I have. I mean, have you ever replayed the videotapes in your mind of, what was I thinking when I said that? Oh, I wish I could do that over again. Well, unfortunately, we can't travel back in time. However, there's a second option. According to Solomon, one of the many benefits of having wisdom is being able to say the right things in the present so we won't have to look back at our past with many regrets. We're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs called Living Wisely. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to start there, then we're going to go to Proverbs um, and pull out the sermon notes in your worship folder. And yes, there are a lot of blanks to fill in. I want to keep you active and awake, and hopefully by the time we're done, you will go, wow, that went fast. And I hope that you'll have a lot of good notes to help you understand what God's Word has to say about this topic. Uh, If you forgot your Bible, just raise your hands, and one of our ushers will bring one to you. We have plenty of Bibles to loan you. We want to make sure you have a copy with you to follow along with us. Uh, Our series theme verse for this series in Proverbs is Proverbs 9.10. If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to underline it in your Bible uh, or highlight it. Uh, But let's read it out loud together. You have it on the sermon notes, and it should be on the screen behind me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Uh, We've been learning that wisdom is the skillful application of God's Word to every area of life for His glory and our good. And throughout this series, one of the wisest men that ever lived, King Solomon, who's uh, he's been telling us, a simple truth in several different ways. And that is that wisdom leads to blessing, but foolishness reaps cursing. We all need wisdom because 
We've all said foolish things in different moments and seasons in our lives. We all can look back and say to ourselves, Oh, how I wish I knew back then what I know now. One area of life in which we all need God's wisdom is in how we talk, how we use words. And so with that, if you would look at Matthew chapter 12 with me, uh, I want to show you a passage here, these, these few verses, because it gives us some important background on what Jesus has to say on this topic, and I want that to kind of lean in to help us understand what Solomon is saying. So Matthew 12, starting in verse 33, Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. The evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." Now, Jesus, let me just explain briefly what he's saying here. As he often did, he's destroying some popular myths that existed in the culture at that time. Uh, First of all, he's uh, destroying the myth that if you just change a person's words, you change the person's heart. He's saying, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, He's also destroying the myth that words are more important than motives, All that matters is what we say. It doesn't really matter why we said it or what we were thinking when we said it. And Jesus is also destroying the myth that there is no record and no accountability for what we say in public or in the privacy of our own home. Well, as he often did, Jesus turns those myths upside down by saying the problem with our tongue is a problem in our hearts. And every careless word we speak is being recorded by our Father in heaven. You know that emoji that like, um, has the flushed face and the big eyes, like deer in headlights kind of look? Every time I read that verse, that's kind of the emoji that comes to mind. Because when I first read that verse several years ago, my application personally was, I am never saying another word ever again. <laughs> and, or I, I, I think I, I kind of said, okay, I realize I can't go through life without ever talking again, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to only write four things down on cue cards, so I really am not speaking anymore, thus I can't be accountable for anything, so I'm just going to use cue cards. Yes, please. No, thank you. Praise Jesus. And praise Jesus. (laughs) And so anytime I'm asked a question, I'm going to say, yes, please. I'm going to say, no, thank you. Or just praise Jesus. Hey, honey, did you get the lawnmower fixed yet? Praise Jesus. (laughs) Hey, did you, uh, do you want me to move your load in the laundry? Yes, please. (laughs) Just, if I can just maybe make it through life like that, hopefully I won't be condemned for any words that I might say. Now, I wanted to show you this passage because I think Jesus needs to influence our big idea. And that is that, and here it is, the fruit of the tongue is rooted in the heart. That's in essence what he's saying. That that you can tell whether a tree is healthy or not by looking at the tree's fruit. And in in the same way, Jesus is saying you can tell whether somebody's born again or not born again or whether somebody's humble or somebody's proud by looking at the fruit of what comes out of their mouth. And this is because the tongue, God just made us this way. When he created us, he he made us just like like an automobile engineer, made engines to run on gas with spark plugs and internal combustion that produces exhaust. There's just no other way around it. That's how it works. Well, in the same way, the Lord made us so that the tongue always says what the heart is thinking. 
Therefore, if you want to change what the tongue says, you have to change the heart. Now, this is very important to understand, and I wanted to give you this background from Matthew chapter 12, because in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says a lot about the tongue and about words and speech, but he doesn't really get to the heart of the matter. He, he more so addresses symptoms. And, and, and so this is very important to understand also because without the truth of the heart being the root of what the tongue says, we will try to fix internal problems with external solutions. We, it, it would be like... Um, taking your car to the, uh, the dealership because a warning light illuminated on your dashboard and, and the mechanic just disconnecting the light. You, you would obviously object to such poor customer service because you would say, I don't want you to get rid of the light. I want you to tell me what's wrong under the hood. Well, in a, in a similar sense, what we say with our mouth is an indicator of what's going on under the hood in our heart. And for these reasons, I've structured the outline this morning that you have in your hands um, to include the under-the-hood lie or truth that we believe when we say certain things, or for example, when we're careless or conniving, or when we are um, controlled or not controlled with our tongue. And so with that, if you would turn from Matthew 12, turn to Proverbs 6 with me. We're going to look at our first set of Proverbs on the tongue. Proverbs chapter 6, it's verses 16 to 19. Proverbs 6, uh, 16 to 19. Now, Solomon writes, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are, are an abomination to him. Uh, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Here's the first point on your outline. As I, as I worked this week to take all the Proverbs that I could find on speech and the tongue and words and tried to organize them, Here's, here's the first one I came up with. Prideful people manipulate others with a conniving tongue. There are several verses that talk about prideful people that are manipulators in the Proverbs. Here's the lie in their heart that causes them to manipulate and connive. And that is, they believe what I want is all that matters. What I want is all that matters. So that's why they manipulate and connive. Their pride causes them to idolize their plans and desires instead of submitting to the Lord. Manipulators reject God's sovereignty and authority because they prefer to be in control. They don't want God being in control. And in order to accomplish their plans, they use a handful of sinful tools to get it to get them done. And so here's, here's A, B, and C for you. How do they do this? The first thing that prideful, manipulative people do in conniving is they lie. Verse 17, they lie. The Lord hates a lying tongue. A lie is a deliberate attempt to mislead others by falsifying or withholding information. You've heard me say before that people generally lie, not only because they're sinners, but they lie because they fear being found out, or they fear someone else more than the Lord. Sinners have come up with numerous ways to deceive. I, a few years ago, I went to a biblical counseling conference where I heard a workshop speaker share he had found... 23 different types of lies in the scriptures. It was an amazing workshop. I learned a ton and was blown away going through his handout and his notes. And so, for example, here's, here's a few that he shared. There's concealment. 
denial, insinuation, half-truths, exaggeration, making commitments with no intention of keeping them, etc., etc., etc. 23 types of lies. That's how good sinners are at it. We don't just straightforward lie. We come up with different ways to do it. This is one of the many reasons our court system swears witnesses in before they take the witness stand. You've heard the oath, right? Put your hand on the Bible. I don't think they use the Bible anymore, but they used to, right? Put your hand on the Bible. and Do you promise to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God? Yes, I do. Okay. Have you ever noticed the boundaries that had to be put into the oath? Do you promise to tell the whole truth, not just part of it? Nothing but the truth, because sinners will try to dilute truth with lies. So help you God, invoking the name of God so that they know they are accountable to him. There's a higher authority that is watching and listening. That all has to be done. That oath had to be written by our court system because people lie. Truth has to be fenced as the whole truth to prevent the withholding of information and nothing but the truth to prevent the diluting of truth with lies. So they lie. Here's letter B. The next thing that manipulators do with their conniving tongue is they scheme. They do by scheming. Verse 18 says, A heart that devises wicked plans. Because their plans have malicious intent, prideful manipulators have to plot behind the scenes like chess players in the dark trying to satisfy their desires and what they want, pulling strings like a puppet master. The Hebrew word that's used for uh, devise in the ESV here is an interesting one. It means to cut or to engrave or to plow in silence. So in other words, it's, it's describing the leaving of a mark but doing it quietly. So no money here, nobody hears. In addition to believing the lie that their plans are best, uh, prideful manipulators also believe the lie that they will never be found out. But they are, because the Lord sees it, and He exposes them. So they scheme. Here's the other tool that manipulators like to use. It's letter C. They divide. They divide people, families, teams, churches, companies. And the Lord hates it. One who sows discord among the brothers, writes Solomon. The verb sows that's in the ESV is an interesting choice of words. It, it, it's obviously a farming imagery of the planting of tossing of seeds. Divisive people plant seeds that create disgruntlement and discontentment and dissatisfaction where it did not exist before. They make little underhanded comments such as, you know, in my previous church, the sermons were funnier, never this challenging, and we didn't have to take notes like this. (laughs) Or, Or they might say, at my brother's church... They use pyrotechnics every Sunday in the worship service, and they're growing like gangbusters. Just imagine if we used pyrotechnics here, how fast we would grow. They just plant little things, little seeds like that. Just like the weak-minded men that followed Absalom in 2 Samuel chapter 15, Eventually, with enough seeds planted, weak-minded church members, team members, employees start to hear and go, yeah, that, is, that does make a lot of sense. And they start to buy in to what the divider is saying. Obviously, I'm using humor to make a point, but I think divisiveness is on the Lord's hate list because it reminds him of the adversary. You might remember the Bible tells us that uh, before creation, Satan uh, was at one time an angel that divided heaven by taking one-third of the angels with him. That's talked about in Romans chapter 12. So, prideful, manipulative 
people, use a conniving tongue, because they believe a lie that what I want is all that matters, and they use the tools of lying and scheming and dividing. Next, if you would turn to Proverbs chapter 12 with me. Here's the next thing that Solomon tells us about the tongue. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. He says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Here's number two in your outline. Prideful people wound others with a careless tongue. They wound others with a careless tongue. And they do this because the lie they believe in their heart is that how I make others feel doesn't matter. When we wound others with our careless words, we are, not, we, we are either not getting outside of ourselves to think about how our words will affect others, or we do know it will hurt them and we just don't care. Solomon says, rash words are like sword thrusts. What a graphic and vivid word picture the sage is using here. Swords not only wound, but they also leave scars. And although the Lord created us to rule over the animals, one of the saddest proofs of our total depravity that makes us more ferocious than animals is how we use words to wound others. especially those that we love. So how do prideful people wound with a careless tongue? Here's letter A. Uh, they do it by gossiping. There are several Proverbs on gossip. Um, I won't have you turn there for the sake of time, but Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Gossip is simply idle talk about the private affairs of others. Idle means it contains information I can do nothing with, and private means it's none of our business. The hypocrisy of gossip is that we don't like it when it's about us, but we love it when it's about somebody else. This is why Proverbs compares it to delicious morsels. Proverbs 18.8, Proverbs 26, verse 22, uses that turn of phrase. That the words of gossip are like delicious morsels. always reminds me of those gooey chocolate Duncan Hines or Betty Crocker's commercials where they, when I, was, I saw them when I was a kid, you know, Maybe they're still on, but, um, you know, where they break the brownie that's in half and the, the caramel, it's like slow motion. You see the caramel connecting the two halves still, and then the caramel breaks, and there's just this soothing voice just talking into, I got to go to the grocery store right now, and I got to cook me some of those, you know? Like, I can't wait, and I'm having that for dinner and for breakfast. It, it just reminds me of that every time I read it, but that's how, that's how gossip is. It's just... It's almost irresistible. But you can discern whether something is gossip by asking yourself, is this information necessary for me to know? Or you can ask yourself, can I do anything edifying with this information? Or, or you can ask the person sharing potential gossip with you, do you have permission from the source to share this with me? Or is this, is this public information? And my favorite one, you can ask the person that is sharing potential gossip with you, can I quote you on this? That changes everything. You say, oh, 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 no, 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 no. Usually some backpedaling that happens then. But gossip... Burns trust, separates friends, and divides churches. 
How else do prideful people wound others with their careless tongue? Well, they gossip, but let her be, they also interrupt. They interrupt. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Proud people talk too much and too often because they think that what they have to say is more important than what anyone else has to say. This can wreak havoc in relationships because the interrupter misses out on important information and then often draws inaccurate conclusions. And so Solomon says it's, it's foolish to answer without first listening. The fruit of the tongue is rooted in the heart. So prideful people, they not only gossip and they interrupt, but they also wound others with their sarcasm. Sarcasm. Now there's a typo in your handout I need to mention. It should say, next to sarcasm, letter C, it should say Proverbs 26, verses 18 to 19, like you see here on the, on the keynote screen. Uh, I apologize for that. It's my fault. It, it, I accidentally duplicated the previous proverb. So I'll fix that on the PDF version that goes up on our website. Uh, there's an old joke uh, that I've heard for years about the famous British aristocrats, aristocrats, excuse me, Lady Astor and Sir Winston Churchill. Uh, allegedly, Astor said to Churchill, if you were my husband, I would poison your drink. To which then Churchill allegedly responded, if you were my wife, I would drink it. <laughs> That's a... It's a funny story, and I've always remembered it since I heard it. Um, and Churchill is known, uh, not only as a great leader of Great Britain during World War II, but he also was just a, uh, a maestro with words and a great speaker and writer. Um, but this little story about Lady Astor and Churchill, though, it, it, it represents the type of humor the Lord has been convicting me about for the last few years. Uh, in Proverbs 26, verses 18 and 19, uh, Solomon writes, Like a madman who throws firebrands. I think that's spears that are lit on fire. Arrows and death is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. So, so the point of the proverb, Proverbs 26, 18 and 19 is, like a madman who's intending to harm his neighbor and throwing weaponry at him, but then says, oh no, I'm only playing around. That's what a sarcastic person does. Webster's Dictionary defines sarcasm as a sharp, satirical, or ironic utterance designed to cut or to give pain. The word sarcasm comes from the Latin and Greek words that mean to tear flesh. Sarks is the Greek word. I always remembered it from seminary because it sounded like shark to me. It's usually an insult wrapped and disguised as humor. So it's like taking, a, taking an insult, a jab you want to throw at somebody, and then... Wrapping it up in nice Christmas wrapping paper with a little bow to make it sound funny and going, here, I'm only joking. When, in fact, you intended to hurt or to harm. I like to define it as uh, sarcasm in my own words would be humor at the expense of someone else. In which I get to write a check from their account and cash it so I can get the laugh. Again, this is something I, I'm ashamed to admit, partly because of my temperament, partly because of my pride, and I could point to years of being on a football team where this was common, sarcasm, roasting, putting people down. It's just I was around it for so long. I could make all sorts of excuses, but I'm ashamed to admit I'm better at it than I should be, and I've been trying with the Lord's help to catch myself and not 
joke like that anymore. Having said that, does your humor wound people like the thrust of a sword? Have you thought about how your humor makes people feel? Solomon would say, if you're not careful, you're acting like a madman. Next, if you would turn to Proverbs chapter 10, just turn back a couple pages to 10, chapter 10, excuse me, verse 19. The first two points on our outline describe what the prideful fool does with words and language, speech. The last two points are going to look at the positives of what the humble, wise person does. And so Proverbs 10, verse 19, uh, Solomon writes, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Here's uh, number three in your outline. Humble people respect others with a controlled tongue. Humble people respect others with a controlled tongue. And what allows them to do this is that instead of believing a lie in their heart, they have chosen to believe a truth. And the truth is, what I say or don't say matters to the Lord. What I say or don't say matters to the Lord. Solomon says, when words are many transgression is not lacking. He's saying that because of our inherited sin nature, the more we talk, the more likely we are to sin and to get into trouble. Some translations render this, sin is inevitable. Unlike the gambler who thinks the more he plays, the better his odds are at winning, the sage is saying, the more we talk... The greater the odds are, we're going to say something we shouldn't have said. Did you know that nowhere in the scriptures are we commanded to talk more? Ever thought about that? So like if, you, if we were to do a, a, a Bible study and to look for all the verses in Scripture, and let's say write them in this column that say, talk more. I think there'd be zero. And then if we were to go and say, this column, we're going to put all the verses that say, listen more, talk less, there'd be a truckload of verses. I think this is because silence is not our problem. It rarely, if ever, leads to sin. However, Solomon says, when our words are many, it often does lead to sin. So how do humble people respect others? Because they believe the truth, what I say or don't say matters to the Lord. Uh, The first thing that humble people do that Solomon mentions is that they listen. They do so by listening. In Proverbs 19, verse 20, it says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom. In the future, we will never grow or gain wisdom by talking more. Did you know that? (laughs) Instead, we must learn to talk less and listen more. Humble people consider what others have to say as more important than what they have to say, as compared to the prideful fool that I mentioned earlier, who thinks what they have to say is more important than anybody else in the room. Humble people take an interest in others by asking questions and listening intently, and they don't allow their selfish thoughts and opinions to be the primary focus. There's a a quote uh, by the famous poet Ralph Waldo Emerson. It's one of my favorite quotes um, of all time that has been helping me grow in my listening skills. Um, Emerson said, Every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that I learn from him. So so in other words, Emerson figured out that if he could focus on the strength of the other person as opposed to dwelling on their weaknesses, if he could find the strength that they are better at than him, he could learn from them. 
He could, he could turn any conversation and make it profitable. And it's important to remember that listening is much more than just waiting for your turn to talk. There are some people that do that. It's actually wanting to hear and wanting to understand what the other person has to say. So humble people respect others by listening. Next, letter B, they also do it by protecting. Uh, humble people respect others by protecting them from certain pieces of information. In Proverbs 12, 23, it says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. It means that the wise man or woman knows how to use the knowledge they have wisely by restraining themselves from revealing all that they know. They, they don't feel compelled to, to reveal all that they know. And they don't do it to be deceptive. Instead, they use restraint because they are discerning when it is and when it's not appropriate to share. This kind of wisdom is why the President of the United States doesn't share the intelligence briefings he gets every morning when he rolls out of bed of all the terrorists that want to destroy our country and how much progress they're making. We, we wouldn't want that information shared with us. We, we would say, no, 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 that, that's why you get paid the big bucks, Mr. President. I don't need to know all the behind-the-scenes stuff that's happening for people trying to tear down our democracy. Uh, you take care of that so I can sleep better at night. It's the same kind of wisdom that causes parents to... Well, it's, it's why parents don't share every marital conflict, financial struggle, or health problem they have with their children. Because parent, good parents, wise parents, know their children are not mature enough to handle certain pieces of information. It's why, it's why when you grow up and you're talking to your parents years later as an adult and you go, oh, that's what was happening that year back then. I didn't know that. Well, yeah, we didn't tell you because you were only 10. You wouldn't have been able to understand it. But now that you're 35, you can. There is wisdom in withholding certain information until the time and place is right to share. And that's what Proverbs 12.23 talks about. Next, if you would turn to Proverbs 16. Um, this is one of my favorite passages in Proverbs about the tongue. I have prayed these verses many times and tried to memorize them. Proverbs 16, 21, 23, and 24. Solomon says, The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. And then verse 23, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. So here's letter C. How else do humble people respect others? By discerning. They're, they're, they are discerning. They, because they are humble, they know that what they say matters to the Lord, and the wise person gives thought, careful thought, to the... And I want you to see this in these verses here in Proverbs 16. There's thought given to timing, tone, and types of words used. For example, there is an appropriate and an inappropriate time for a teenager to ask their parents to borrow the car. The wise teenager would not ask to borrow the car when the other family car is in the shop getting worked on. There is a wise and unwise tone to take with your boss when you want to ask for a little time off. Proverbs 16 says that the wise person prayerfully and thoughtfully discerns these things before speaking. They think through, how is it going to sound if I say it this way? How is it going to sound if I say it this way? What, what does this person that I'm going to talk to need to hear? The fruit of the tongue is rooted in the heart. Next, if you would turn back to chapter 12, as we look at our last proverb for today, chapter 12, verse 18, Proverbs 12, 
18, we're going to come back to that proverb. We looked at it earlier, and now we're going to look at the last half of the, of the proverb. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Here's number four in your outline. Uh, humble people minister to others with a caring tongue. With a caring tongue. And they do so because the truth they believe in their heart is that how I make others feel does matter. It does matter. This is a contrasting proverb, whereas we looked at the first half of the verse earlier, uh, the second half looks at the wise person. So, so it compares, the, the fool does the first half, the wise person does the second half, and they're connected and contrasted by the conjunction, but. So instead of being like swordsmen, on the field of battle, whose sole focus is to wound as many people as possible, Solomon says, the wise, the humble person, is like a medic who helps heal wounds. Humble people minister to others with a caring tongue because they have believed the truth in their heart that how I make others feel does matter. So how do they do this? Well, they do it by encouraging. If you would, look further down the page in chapter 12 at verse 25. A prudent man conceals, I'm sorry, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety and fear in the birds of life according to this proverb, are like a heavy weight on the heart. And, and, and literally, the Hebrew text uses a fascinating word that means to bow down. It, it, it mean, it, it's, a, it's a word picture like a, like a tree branch that has too much weight on it, so the branch begins to bow to the point where it would almost break. But a good word, says Solomon, a word of encouragement, kindness, or insight from the scriptures of what God might be doing in the life of that person that's weighed down can restore joy to the heart. I read this quote from the humorist and author Mark Twain several years ago and never forgot it because it's so good. It's proven true in my life and I'll never forget it. Twain once said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. I can live for two months on a good compliment. It caused me to ask you, when's the last time you gave a word of encouragement to someone, a brother or sister in the faith, so they can walk with Jesus for just two more months? So they can just make it two more months until they get their next compliment or word of encouragement. So, humble people minister to others with a caring tongue by encouraging, and then finally... Humble people also minister, letter B, by correcting. They correct as well. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Solomon's referring to a good type of wound from a trusted friend that gets us back on track when we've wandered off the trail in our walk with the Lord. Correction is a, a type of soul care that is talked about all throughout the scriptures. And it's essential for our growth and our protection. Because of our inherited sin nature, we all have blind spots in our character that we need others to lovingly point out to us that we can't see. I think one reason loving, accountable relationships, though, um, are not as common as they should be in the Lord's church is that Many people take the cautions in scriptures about how we make others feel too far. They, they go into the ditch on one side, ignoring the fact that truth also matters. That the Lord also cares about our character and our walk with him. And that, and that being afraid of somebody getting upset at us by lovingly correcting or challenging them because they've wandered off the path in their walk should not keep us from doing what's true and, and right and correct and saying, hey, I love you. I'm for you, man. 
you, you, you can't do this. You gotta, you gotta change. Hey, look, the word says this and this and this. And Solomon is saying that momentary discomfort caused by a word of correction from a trusted friend is always better than surrounding yourself with people that will only tell you what you want to hear. That's what that proverb is saying. It's always better to go and get counsel from someone who might tell you, no, you can't do what you want to do, as opposed to going to people that will always tell you, yeah, you're good, man, that's fine, and they never bring up the word, they never open the scriptures, and they just tell you what you want to hear so that you can get the green light on what you already decided to do in your heart. Solomon's saying that that's bad. Bad and bad, bad, bad. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks when we look at decision-making from the book of Proverbs and how to make wise decisions. But humble people minister by correcting and encouraging. Both are important. Both are important. Well, you know as well as I do that we can't have a message here at Vanguard without some applications. So here's two closing applications that I think would tie up everything that we've talked about here about the tongue. First of all, the first one that comes to mind, application number one, humble your heart. Humble your heart. As I look at all the Proverbs that we surveyed this morning, I think, I think that one of the takeaways is that we, we need to remember the mouth always says what the heart is thinking. Therefore, if we think too highly of ourselves, we will think too lowly of God. We will look down on others, and we will say things that are harmful. On the other hand, if we think lowly of ourselves, we will think highly of God, we'll look up to others, and say things that are helpful. So humble your heart. Here's the second application. Think before you speak. Think before you speak. I know it sounds like advice that your mom would give you, but easier said than done, right? I have to be honest with you. When I when I was a younger believer, I struggled to learn how to do this. I, I was so used to speaking so quickly without thinking that it, it first seemed impossible for me to start thinking before speaking. However, with the Lord's help, with Scripture memory, in prayer... I am learning that self-control is like a muscle. We all have the muscle. We just need to develop it. We need to strengthen it. And finally, I want to remind you that Solomon's not the hero in the book of Proverbs. Jesus is. Once again, Jesus is our hero and our help. He's the hero because during his earthly ministry, Jesus said, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. John 8.28. Thus, Jesus not only showed us how to be committed to doing the Father's will, but also how to speak the Father's will. He later states in John 12, The Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So in other words, we never need to worry what to say, because if we have God's word, we can use this. This is one of the many reasons I have urged you to make daily Bible study one of your spiritual disciplines. Because if, if we can learn to saturate our hearts and minds in the Word, we'll begin to speak the Word, and then it's, of course, less likely that we sin in our speaking. Jesus is also our help. Because he sent the Holy Spirit to help us do what he has commanded us to do. Thus, we never have to try to change in our own power because he's given us the power to change instead. And so I just share that with you as we close so that you'll remember. Don't just try to, don't just try to go, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do that proverb. I'm going to stop that proverb and do that one and do that one. You will feel defeated very quickly. Instead, I want to encourage you to get to the heart level 
and figure out why you say what you say that you then end up regretting and having to ask forgiveness for. And do business with the Lord on that level. Why? Because time travel is not possible. But we can live with wisdom in the present so we won't have to look back on our past with regrets. The fruit of the tongue is rooted in the heart. And the tongue always says what the heart is thinking. Therefore, if you want to change what the tongue says, you have to change your heart. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I realize that uh, those listening here in this room and some that are listening online are probably first tempted to think about how they've been hurt by the words of others, by the sword thrusts of others. Lord, please, would you redeem those wounds by first of all giving them wisdom and then secondly bringing healing. Father, I also pray that by your spirit you would help anyone thinking about the wounds that they've suffered at the hands of another from words that you would help them to think about and maybe bring to their mind times they have hurt someone because we've all done it we all have sinned against others and we've all been sinned against Lord please would you uncover lies and reveal lies that we have bought into in our hearts that cause us to talk the way we do I realize this is difficult thinking. It was hard for me to understand at first when I first heard this kind of teaching. But Lord, I know by your spirit you can help our minds to understand the connection between the heart and the tongue. Father, would you please help those that right now just feel overwhelmed and think that there's just no way I can do this. I, I, I don't know how to change. There's so many proverbs. And Lord, please, would you just help them to simplify and to get back to the fact that you will help them, that they don't have to change everything overnight. They just need to take one step at a time with you, that over time you will help them change their heart and the way they talk. Lord, would you give them encouragement? Would you give them grace and give them strength? Help us, Father, please, to be a church that uses words for good, to encourage and lift up, and if necessary, to correct. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.